All right, we are in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Romans 6, 15 through 18. I'm going to start reading in verse 14, is where we ended last week. Uh, but I want to read verse 14 uh, to stay in its context of, because uh, in verse 15, where we're going to start our study tonight, he's responding to what he just said in verse 14, all right? So we'll start in verse 14, we're going down through verse 18. <clears throat> For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And that's what we'll be studying tonight. Let me pray uh, for us as we get going here. Lord God, we pray for your grace tonight. We pray that we would uh, see your grace clearly. And that we pray that we would see how wonderful you are. And we would see how much we need you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work mightily through us tonight, all for your glory and your praise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can see a word that comes up over and over again uh, in this passage, just these few verses, and that's the word slave. And slavery is, and even slave, is a word that when used, uh, people tend to cringe. Uh, or they feel uncomfortable, and for good reason. Slavery, as history ha- has as history has shown, uh, more often than not, is a horrible thing. And so the word slavery kind of leaves uh, a bad taste in our mouth. And tonight we're going to talk about slavery. Uh, and in one case, it is very very bad. Uh, but in another, it's very very good. And hopefully we'll see that tonight. Now verse 15 uh, really sets up what we're about to talk about, right? Verse 15 says, what then? As in response to what he just said, since you are not under the law but under grace. Verse 15 says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. And maybe this sounds kind of familiar to you, right? This really mirrors very closely what we just looked at last few weeks in verses 1 through 14. It mirrors very closely its pattern. Paul anticipates the reader questioning the statement that he just made, and then he goes on to explain and to defend his point. Right? He's anticipating the question because he just made a big statement that said, you are not under law but under grace. And so he says, what then are we to sin because we're not under law but we're under grace? Just similar to chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? Respond to the statement in chapter 5, verse 20, that says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Right? So he anticipates these questions. Now, the difference is in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, they were asking the question of sinning 
in order that they may get more grace, in order that grace may abound. That's why they're asking, well, should we still sin? Should we sin more so that we have more grace? Like if grace abounds and the more I sin, then maybe the more grace I'll get. Whereas here in verse 15, they're asking the question of sinning because now they're under grace and not under the law. And so they're like, well, if we're not under the law, if we're just under grace, then should we sin? And Paul's point is that freedom from the law or living under grace does not lead to sin. Nor does it lead to this autonomous lifestyle that, that says, okay, look, I'm not under the law anymore and I'm under grace. So now I, I, I have autonomy. Now I'm just I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want, uh, whatever I want because it doesn't matter. I'm under grace. I'm not under law. So, so how I live my life, it doesn't matter. And he's saying no. This grace and this freedom leads to something. It leads to becoming a slave of God, which leads to righteousness and obedience. That's what he's saying. So the, the purpose of grace is to free us from our sin. Right? We, we looked at that last week. To free us from our sin. So why on earth would we, by the grace of God, continue to live in it? If it is by the grace of God that we are now free from sin, then why would we go on to continue to live in sin? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Instead, this, great, this grace and this freedom allows us to no longer live as slaves to sin, but instead allows us and frees us to live as slaves to God. So in this passage... We're going to see four truths, four truths about what it means to be a slave. And then my hope is that we will self-assess under who chains do we belong. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Four truths of what it means to be a slave. The first is that everyone is a slave. The first truth that we see about the reality of slavery and us being slaves is that everyone is a slave. That's your first main point here tonight. And people often seek total freedom. They seek total autonomy. I, I'm my own master. I am completely free. But no one, apart, apart from God, has total, complete freedom. At least not in that sense. All of us are limited. We're all limited by or we're enslaved uh, to something or we're enslaved to someone. The question is not, how do I gain complete freedom? The question isn't, am I totally autonomous? Am I totally free? The question is, who or what am I serving? That's really the question we ought to be asking ourselves. Who or what am I serving? Because you are serving something or someone as you are a slave to something or someone. As Paul would argue, you're either serving sin or you're serving Christ. You are a slave to one of these two masters. And the wonderful reality is that to be a slave to Christ is to be truly free. That's the wonderful thing that we're going to look at tonight. Now, Paul starts off in verse 16 by saying, do you not know? He says, do you not know? And this phrase is a common phrase by Paul in which he assumes that what he's about to say is already known by his readers. That's already known. He's like, do you not know this? And so he says in verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, 
Like to, to, to put his point plainly, he's saying, look, the one you obey is the one who is your master. Like that makes sense. He's saying, like, you should already know this. Like, do you not know this? Like, the one you obey is the one who's your master. And so this is why we can say that everyone is a slave. Because you obey a master, and you are a slave to that master, whether you like it or not. You are a slave to that master. And that master, if not God, is sin. See, sin is so often believed to be freedom. But it's the opposite. It is slavery. It is bondage. We so much want to be free. And, and we desire that, that total freedom. And what better lie from the enemy than to say, look, the more you live in sin, the more free you will be. And we fall for that lie. We fall for that lie. Now, what authority must we always look to? What authority? Who is the greatest authority? What is the greatest authority? Someone say. Jesus. Okay, that's good. Yeah, God, right? God in his word. Okay, do we not know? Yes, okay. God, the word of God, right, is our authority. So if, if, if we're hearing, hey, the more you live in sin, right, the more free you will be, we'll say, okay, wonder what authority is that being said? Well, let's look at our authority, which is the word of God. And nowhere in scripture does it say that the more you sin, the freer you are. In fact, it says the opposite. And yet for some reason, sometimes we fall to that lie. That yeah, I, I feel more free when I sin. But sin is not freeing. Sin is bounding. Sin promises satisfaction, but it's fleeting. And then you need more and more. And the path of sin gets darker and darker the longer you're on it. And it grabs hold of you tight. And it feels impossible to, to escape. And it's frustrating because it promises you, sin promises you joy and satisfaction when in reality you are living in opposition to the, your intended purpose in life. You know, oftentimes the non-believer hates the consequences of, of, of their own sin. Like they, they, they desperately want to free themselves of the destruction outcomes of the choices. Like they know, like they're, they're deep in their sin maybe, and they know the consequence, and they're experiencing the consequences of their sin, and they want that, they, they want that gone. Like they don't want the consequences of their sins, but they're not willing to give up the sin in which they love so much. Despite they know the consequences it brings, they say, but I love the sin. See, they're enslaved. They're enslaved to their sin. Sin is not freeing. It's bounding. Many people, they, they don't want Christianity, they say, because they don't want to be bound. They want to be free. They say, I don't want that Christianity thing. You know, it's all these rules, and you have to go to church every Sunday, and it's, just, it's a killjoy. I don't want to be bound like that. I want to be my own man. I want to be free. I want to be autonomous. I want all this. I don't want Christianity. I don't want to be bound. Let me tell you, if you are not a Christian, you are bound. You have no freedom to choose between good or evil. You, you are enslaved to your sin. The only thing you can do is sin against God. For in our flesh, we cannot please God. It's just a matter of when and how and to what degree do we sin against Him. If you are rejecting the free gift of salvation 
through Jesus Christ, if you're rejecting that because you, because you don't want to be bound, if you're saying, like, I don't want anything to do with Christianity because I want freedom and, and, and I don't want to be bound, and that, that re- re- just reveals how deceived you are by the enemy to think that you're free right now in your sin and Christianity would, would bind you. You're deceived. Here's the truth, non-Christian. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you. Here's the truth. Sin is bondage. And sin is not a good master. And you are not free, but you are bound by your master called sin. But there is freedom in Jesus Christ. See, being a slave to sin is not the only option. But there is one other option, and that is to be a slave to God. Now, it's interesting here that Paul uses the word obedience in reference to our master and doesn't use the word God. Right? You would kind of expect him to say that because he's compared. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? He says either of sin, that's the first master, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You might think you would say or of God, which leads to righteousness. But he doesn't. He says or of obedience. So why? Why would he use the word obedience? And I think the reason for this, I believe in its context here, is to emphasize the importance of the believer who is a slave of God, the importance of the believer to live in obedience to him who is your master. Right? Because remember, what was the objection that was just laid out? The objection is, should we continue to sin? Right? In verse 15, what? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he's saying, by no means. So Paul's saying, no, the slave of God is a slave of obedience that leads to righteousness. So he's saying, don't sin. I think that's why he says obedience. He's saying, like, that's your master. Like, why would you sin? Yes, you're under grace. You're not under law. Stop, Siri. It's important to note here that when, when he says is that you are a slave of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness that Paul is not making a man this technology is horrible tonight isn't it (laughs) Paul is not making a moral suggestion here because it's very important for us to understand he's not saying you ought to be a slave to obedience he's saying you are a slave to obedience you see the difference? He's not saying, Christian, you, you ought to be a slave to obedience. No, he's saying, Christian, you are a slave to obedience. Remember what we've been talking about? The old sinful self, that's in the past. You died to that. Remember that that's the old self. It's useless. It's garbage. It's put away with. That old self is done. If you are in Christ, this is now who you are. You are a slave to obedience. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that we strive for. It's a fact. It's who you are. Christian, you are a slave of obedience. And so with that in mind, he's like, like, how can we go on sinning? How can we go on sinning when we've died to that old self? And when we are actually a slave of obedience, he said, we can't go on sinning. That makes no sense. It's no longer who we are. That's the path. Now we're a slave of obedience. You see, everyone is a slave to one of these two masters. There is no neutral ground. There is no, 
well, I'm not a slave to anyone. I, I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want to be a slave to God. I, I'm no slave. Man, if you, if you fall to that belief that you have no master, that, that you are the master of your own life, that, that you're your own master, then you fall and pray to the deception, the illusion of Satan. To make you think that, that you rule your own life, that you're your own master. But all of us are a slave. And we're either a, a slave to sin under the lordship of Satan or a slave to righteousness under the lordship of Christ. That's it. Who are you a slave to? Who is your master? What does the, the, the pattern of your life prove of who your master is? As you examine your own life, who does it show that you obey? Who does it show that you submit to? Who does it show is your master? See, slavery is, is not just a legal status. Although it is partly that, but it's more than that. Slavery is, is how you live your life. We're all slaves. Do you live your life in slavery to sin? Or do you live your life in slavery to God? We're going to look more, more at that in a little bit. But next... Our next point we see is that your slavery leads to either death or righteousness. Your slavery leads to either death or righteousness. He continues on in verse 16, comparing the two. I've read this a few times. To anyone as uh, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So your slavery leads to either death or righteousness. For the non-Christian, your slavery to sin leads to death. You understand that? That non-Christian, your slavery to sin leads to death. That is what it leads to. That is your reward for submitting to your master called sin. How does your master pay you? With death. What is your wage? For, for, for submitting to your master, for obeying your master called sin, is death. We're going to look at it next week for the wages of sin is death. Not next week, because we have next week off. But you know what I'm saying, next time we meet. So we have death, both physically and eternally. And because of sin, those who are not in Christ, remember we talked about but those who are still in Adam, and those who are not in Christ, but are still under the, the lordship of sin, they are spiritually dead and will experience both a physical and an eternal death. This is not what we're told. We're told that sin leads to everything we want. We're told that sin, sin is everything that you want, everything you need, but it, it, it actually leads to death. Is this not the same conversation that Satan had with Eve in the Garden of Eden? Right? God said, you cannot eat from this tree for you will surely die. That's pretty clear. Go ahead. Eat all these. Eat the fruit from all these trees. But this tree. You cannot eat from this tree. Or you will surely die. And Satan said. You will not surely die. He said what to Eve? Your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. And Eve saw that it was good for food. That it was pleasing to the eyes. That it was desirable for wisdom. So she concluded, this is not wrong. This is good. How can something that seems so good be wrong? 
I know what God said, but I'm seeing this and I'm being told this. This, this seems good. So it's got to be right. This can't be wrong. So she ate. And she gave it to Adam and he ate. And what happened next? They died. It leads to death. They spiritually died instantly. Their communion with God was broken. They hid from God. And then what? From that point on, their physical bodies slowly died until they eventually did die. Don't listen to those who say sin is harmless. Don't listen to those voices that say, no, no, no. This sin is harmless. It's okay. It's good. It's good. For, look at it. You will not surely die. It's good for the eyes. It's pleasing to the eyes. You'll hear it over and over again. The sin is good for you. That the sin, this is what's best for you. This is what will help you. You will be bombarded with the voices that say, follow me. That say, do this. That say, try that. That says, I will bring you happiness. I will bring you fulfillment. And these voices come from all different places. But don't listen to those voices. Listen to God. God said, don't eat of this tree. You will surely die. And the voice says, you will not surely die. Well, who are you going to listen to? Under what authority do, do, do they have to say, no, this is good for you? Under what authority do they have to say, no, this sin, this sin is what you need? It's foolishness. And it's foolishness for us to listen, to say, you're right. I mean, God says that it'll lead to death, but I don't know, you're saying it won't, so maybe you're right. That's foolishness, right? I mean, God is the one with authority. We have to listen to his word that says sin leads to death. Not Does, does God ever say, no, sin leads to happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction? No, that's not what God says. Do you trust God's word? Do you trust it? Do you trust his word to be true? Or do you trust the word of the world that says, no, sin is good for you? Sin is right. For you. Whose word do you trust? So non-Christian, your, your slavery leads to death. But for the Christian, your slavery leads to righteousness, he says. As you are a, a slave to obedience to God, as he is your master, what produces from that? What, what produces from submitting to him? He says righteousness. Righteous living is the fruit, it is the wage, it is the outcome of submitting to God as master. And, and it, it sounds almost too simple that, that, that we could easily miss it. As you obey obedience, it leads to righteousness. It leads to living a life that demonstrates righteousness. Now, Listen very carefully. Righteousness and obedience are never the cause of salvation. What I mean is that righteousness and obedience, it, it never produces salvation. It, it, it never maintains salvation. Okay, so let me be very clear on that. It, it's not that you start living in obedience and, and, and then your chains are broken and you become a slave and a follower of God. You become a Christian because of all this obedience you did. And so once you just conjured up enough obedience and righteousness, God's like, all right, now those chains are broken. Now you're a Christian. No, that's not what it is. And it's not that, okay, you're right. I understand. I'm saved by grace through faith. Great. And now I'm a slave to God. But now I need to live in obedience to keep and maintain my new standing with God. No, that's not what it is either. It's not maintaining. 
But rather, obedience and righteousness are the natural and the inevitable fruit that comes from those who are truly in him. See, if you are truly in Christ, obedience to your master results in righteousness. That's the natural result. That's what he's saying. That's what it leads to. Not that's what it's created from. See the difference? Christian, I asked you, you're here tonight, you claim to be a Christian. Have you seen this result in your life? Have you seen, have you seen these evidences? Have you seen the fruit that comes from obedience to your master? If you're truly in Christ, you ought to. You ought to see the ways in which God has been working your heart and producing this fruit of righteousness. Next, what we see is God is the only one who can redeem you. This is the, the third aspect that we see of our slavery is that God is the only one who can redeem you. Moving on to verse 17. He starts off by saying, but thanks be to God. Let's not skip that. Paul gives thanks to God for taking the sinner out of slavery of sin and switching his allegiance to a new master. He says, but thanks be to God. Let's not pass over the fact that Paul gives thanks to God. We cannot skip that. It's so short, it can be passed over, but it's so important. For it is only in God and God alone that we can have salvation. So if you are not if you're not a Christian, please know you cannot switch allegiances without God switching it for you. You need God. Maybe you are here and you do feel enslaved to your sin. Maybe you're not a Christian and you do feel enslaved to sin and you realize it and you hate it. And maybe you do want to break free from the chains of sin. And here's the good news for you. You can't break your chains. You can't break your chains. And that is good news. And that is good news because if it were up to you, you would fail. In fact, if it, were left, if it were left up to humanity to save themselves, there would not be a single soul in heaven. So it is good news. Because thanks be to God that he is the one who saves. God is the one. Christian, thank God that he rescued you. Thank God that he rescued you, for if it were not because of him, you would still be a slave to sin. So remember that, Christian. Now how has he switched our allegiance? Well, in verse 18, he says, And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. You see what he's talking about? He's, in a sense, he's talking about being redeemed. Being redeemed, that we have redemption in God through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be redeemed? And we, we sing about it sometimes, right? that there is a redeemer. What does it mean? It means to be purchased. To be redeemed means to be purchased. It means that your ransom has been paid in full. And indeed, we have a ransom. Why? Because we are slaves. Do you understand that, that redemption has to do with our slavery? That we need to be purchased. That we need to be bought. That we have a ransom that needs to be paid for. That we need to be redeemed. 
And one does not redeem themselves, but they need someone to redeem them. They need a redeemer. You cannot redeem yourself, but Jesus is our redeemer. We were slaves to sin. Slaves. Obedient to sin. Bound by sin. Enslaved by sin. We could not purchase our own freedom. But Christ did. And Christ paid the price for our redemption. And he purchased it with his blood. You see? He did not pay our ransom through money. He did not pay our ransom through bribery or through trickery or, or through any other means. Like, that's not how he did. But Christ paid our ransom by becoming sin himself and by dying in our place so that we can't be redeemed. He purchased us to himself. And it's because of Christ that we can be redeemed. That we can be rescued from our slavery to sin and brought into God's family because of Christ. See, that is why it's so important to remember the gospel, Christian. Because when we sin, Christian, when we sin, what we're saying to Christ, we're saying, yeah, I know you you shed your blood to purchase me from, from from the slave master called sin. That's who I once belonged to. But you know what? I'm going to go back and just serve him for a second. I know that you died, you shed your blood to to purchase me from him, but just real quick, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to obey him for a moment, my old master. Christian, why would we want to go back to sin when that is exactly what Christ died for and saved us from? When Christ shed his own blood to, to purchase us, to redeem us from those chains of sin. And now we're free in Christ and we're with him. And then we say, okay, but let me just go back and sin a little bit. Why would we want to do that? We must remember the gospel. Remember what Christ accomplished on your behalf. And desire to sin no longer. But desire to worship him. Because you have been redeemed. And let me be very clear again. You cannot redeem yourself. You can't do it. You cannot redeem yourself. There's nothing. There's no chance that you can redeem yourself. That you can pay your debts off and then be set free and say, I did enough good now to break these chains. No, but God offers a way. And it is through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way. If you are seeking freedom, don't seek freedom in sin like the world will tell you. Don't seek freedom in the law, in works. This is what he says. You're not under the law. So don't go back and try to find your freedom in the law. Seek it in Christ. There is freedom in Christ. And ask God that he would give you the faith. If you're here, you're not a Christian and you are seeking this freedom. Ask that he would give you the faith to believe in his son. And that he would grant you a heart of repentance. God is our rescuer. He is our redeemer. Now lastly, the fourth aspect we see of slavery is that those who have been redeemed take a new form. Those who have been redeemed, those which we talked about, take a new form. Paul says in the second half of verse 17, 
that those who have been redeemed are now obedient from the heart. He said they're obedient from the heart. Notice, it's not an obedience of obligation or an obedience of duty. It's an obedience what? From the heart. From the heart. Is that true for you, Christian? The one who has been redeemed, is that true for you? Is your obedience to God from the heart? Do you obey out of love for God? Do you obey out of a desire now, a new desire to glorify Him? And that's why you obey God? Again, this is an indicative, not an imperative. He's not suggesting that you obey from the heart. He's not saying, hey, make sure you know you should obey from the heart. No, he's saying you do obey from the heart. He said, if you are in Christ, if you are redeemed, then this is a truth. This is the fact that you do obey from the heart. Do you? You say, I'm a Christian. Do you obey from the heart? Or do you simply obey because you should? Do you, do you, do you simply obey because it's the Christian thing to do? Because I, I don't want to disappoint my parents. Now, the Christian is obedient from the heart, he goes on to say, to the form of teaching to which you were committed. The ESV says, to the standard of teaching in which you were committed. But I believe the NASB has it better as they translate it, to the form of teaching in which you were committed. Now, it's, it's very, I know it sounds like, well, okay, what, what, what's the big deal, form or standard? It, it is a big deal. And the reason why I, I believe it's a better translation of form it's because that word there, the word, is in reference to a mold or a cast, like if you're casting metal, right? So I think form better uh, describes that for us. Okay, let me show you. I, I put a couple pictures up for you guys. Look at that. Uh, okay, so you, this is a mold, right, in which let's say that you, it's forming. So like on the left, you can see the mold around that apple. And you were to pour in whatever, like a met, hot metal or something, it would form into that apple. Or on the right, you can see it, right? You have these two halves of the mold. You pour it in the top, then you break it open, you have that little thing. I didn't know what that's for. Uh, but you have it, okay? And so the point is, right, is that it forms. Like, it, it's, it's a form for you. It's a mold. That's the word that he's using here for form. When he says uh, that obedience from the heart to the form of teaching to which you're committed. He's talking about like this, a mold. Like you would to cast metals of some sort. So the idea is this. Don't let the world shape and form you into its image. But rather let God and his word mold you more into the image of Christ. That's what he's saying. Not that we become Christ. Okay, you are not Christ. Don't hear that. But we are to become like him. To look like him. To be formed into his image to be formed, molded into his image. What does your life show? What does your life show to the world around you? Does your life reflect the image of Satan and being formed into his likeness? Or does your life represent and show Christ? And Paul says that, that the Christian is committed to this form of teaching, he says. He's committed to this form of teaching. 
What he's getting at is that the Christian, now under a new master, submits himself to the teaching of God's word and is obedient to it. Obedient to God's word. Are you committed to this? Are you committed to his word? Are you in submission to this? Do you submit to his word? Does God's word form you into the image of Christ? Right? His word is like that mold that forms you into the image of Christ. Because what is this all about? It's about Christ. Do you submit to it? Are you committed to it? Do you obey it? That you may be formed into the image of Christ. Or is his word just a book that sits on the shelf? Is his word just something that is good for head knowledge, but, but not changing the heart? Not changing how you live your life. That maybe you, you, you come here and you, and, and you sit through this as long as you can bear it. And then you walk out of here the same. Not in the mold. But instead you go out and you, you fit the mold in which the world forms for you. Christians, submit to his word. Commit yourself to his word that you would be formed into the image of Christ. Now, the Christian, now taking the form of Christ, now committed to the teaching of his word, does so. Why? Because he's been set free from sin and has become a slave of righteousness. That's how he ends in 18. Of t- uh, to which you were committed, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So now you've been set free from being a slave of sin and now you're a slave of righteousness. And you're like, well, what advantage is that? Like, why is it a good thing that we've gone from being a slave to one master to now a slave to another master? And do I really want that? I'm still a slave. What's the advantage? Well, one, I'll say this. The difference is the master. One master is cruel and deceptive and harsh and leads to death. And the other master is kind and perfect and gracious and leads to life. And not only that, but being a slave to this new master leads to freedom. Freedom to do what, we ask? Because we're still a slave, so am I really free? Freedom to live according to our flesh and freedom for for everything to be the same and freedom to, to be king of our own lives. All right, that kind of freedom? No, by no means, he would say. That's not real freedom. What I just described, that's bondage. That's bondage to sin. See, true freedom is knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being radically committed to following him. That's freedom. And there's freedom in Jesus Christ. And there's freedom in his gospel. Jesus Christ breaks the chains of sin and darkness and he gives you new life. It is having a relationship with the one true God. And it is loving him. And it is serving him with your life. This is the natural response to the gospel. If you are in Christ. Of the gospel changing our heart, I should say. That's that's the response. Obedience to God and commitment to following him. If you claim to be a Christian... If you're here tonight and you claim to be a Christian and there is no obedience that follows, 
question if you are truly a slave to God or if you remain a slave to sin. If you are truly in Christ, if you're truly in Him, God has changed your allegiance. You are no longer a slave to sin, but now you belong to Him and He is your master. He is the one in whom you serve now. As Douglas Moo would say, he said, this freedom from the power of sin means servitude to a new power. So you've been set free from sin. So don't go back to sinning. No, instead, now serve a new power. Now serve God. This is all part of being formed into the image of Christ. That you are truly redeemed, you now take on a different form. We've seen tonight four truths of what it means to be a slave. That everyone's a slave, that your slavery leads to either death or righteousness, that God is the only one who can redeem you, and that those who have been redeemed take a new form. Your slavery to your master has huge implications for your life. You understand that? That it changes everything, not only here and now, but for all of eternity. And ultimately, you're either a slave to Satan or you're a slave to God. And it's not that these are are two equal opposing forces that they're duking it out and we'll see who's stronger. No, they're not even worth comparing. Like Satan's not even in the same league as God. God already has the victory. So it's not like, ooh, which side am I going to choose? No, God's already won. But you are a slave to one or the other. Who are you a slave to? Christian, remember, you have been redeemed by God. He has paid your ransom, Christian, and now everything is different. You now have a new relationship with God, and you now have a new relationship with sin. The master you once submitted to in sin is no longer your master. You've been set free, and for the first time, you can say no to sin. For the first time, Christian, you don't have to live sinfully, but instead you can live righteously. So don't go back to the old master. We still do, though, don't we? We still do. We fall to sin. We still take commands from from our old master. And we obey him. We choose to obey sin. But let it not be so, Christian. Let it not be so, but remember the gospel of Jesus Christ and don't go back to sin, but live in obedience to God. Christian, you're you're not just mindlessly and purposelessly and begrudgingly obeying God's commands. No, the Christian obeys from the heart of a new relationship with him. It It is responding to the gospel. Christian, it's responding to the new freedom that you have. And it is now with new desires, living in worship and obedience to God. That is what this new ownership looks like. If you are not a Christian, if you're here tonight you're not a Christian, please don't consider Christianity in this way, thinking, well, should I give up my freedom and submit to God? 
Don't think of Christianity in that way. That's backwards. Christianity isn't giving up freedom and now being in bondage to God. No, Christianity is freedom. It's giving up your bondage to sin and being set free in Christ. Christianity is freedom to be God's slave. And there's no greater joy and freedom than that. So the real question is, non-Christian, the real question for you is, should I serve sin or should I serve God? Because you're serving one of those two masters, one or the other. And you can't be the slave of two masters. You belong to one or you belong to the other, not both. So who do you belong to? Who do you serve? Who is your master? If you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, I urge you to come to him and find freedom in Jesus Christ. The reality of slavery is that it can be very, very bad or it can be very, very good, depending on your master. Left in your natural state, your slavery is a horrible thing as you serve a horrible master. But in Christ, your slavery is a very, very good thing. For in Christ is true freedom and true joy and true life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. God, thank you that we have a redeemer in Christ. Thank you, God, for taking us out of our bondage of sin and bringing us into your family. Lord, I pray for those in here who are still bound to their sin, God, who is still serving a different master. I pray that you would break their chains, God, that you would give them faith and repentance, that they would come to know you, that you would save them. God, for those in here who are saved, Lord, I pray that the gospel would be fresh on their hearts, that they would see you as a wonderful master. They would seek God not to continue to live under law, but live under grace and to serve and to worship and to obey you. God, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. We give you all glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. amen.